0: You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror Podcast. It's all Muerte here again, leading you through our podcast discussions of films, both old and new. And we are going to start, we're, we're almost like slightly at the beginning of season seven, you would have heard hopefully some of the previous uh, podcast discussions we've had so far. Uh, but we're going to change tack a little bit now. We're going to go back to looking at uh, the canon of work that John Comter produced. Avid listeners out there who followed us for a little while will know that when uh, we first started our podcast sessions, we uh, we started looking at his early work. We called it the early years. And basically, we were looked at uh, the years uh, starting with Dark Star and ending with The Thing, which was, for in our point of view, was like the, the big turning point in his his career the next film that would follow up from that would be in 1983 and that's going to be the subject of this film now which is christine and those that know stephen king's work know that it was based on that book about the Plymouth fury bright red that's uh, a little bit possessed we say, and goes on a killing frenzy. And but we are going to be looking at the rest of uh Carpenter's work throughout the rest of this season now. So, those that you're listening to us, this is where we're going to start looking through uh some of his career. And if, if we look back at the ones that we've discussed so far, this guy had a phenomenal uh hit rate. Um, you know, so like we mentioned Dark Star at the beginning, as we said. And then uh, he would then follow that up with Assault and Precinct 13 before his big, big breakout film, which was Halloween. Two years following that, he would do The Fog. And then literally the next year was Escape from New York. The next year was The Thing. The next year was Christine, which we're about to talk about. Then uh, Starman would follow the year after. He He took a year break in 1985. We don't know what he was doing, but he took a year out before he then came back and did Big Trouble in Little China. Following year, he did Prince of Darkness, and then he did They Live, and that rounds out the 1980s. So, like, he was he was churning some good stuff out here. So, we're going to be looking at those core films, but we're even going to push further and we're going to go up right to his last film, which is called The Ward. And uh, we hope that you enjoy the discussions as we go along the way. Those that are new to the scene, I want to know what Surgeons of Horror is all about. Essentially, like, as I said, we, we dissect and discuss these films, and we're using John Carpenter's uh, work as our uh, driving force through this particular season to discuss his work. But essentially that's what we do. We, we we look at the films one by one in each episode, we dissect and discuss them. And uh, we talk about uh, nostalgic element, um, where we were when we first watched the film, what we felt was good at the time, um, and whether that still sits with us. And then when we've kind of talked about the narrative and the little kind of key points that have happened throughout the film that still register, uh, we kind of have a look at whether or not we Think the film still strong, still stands strong today, and whether we would recommend it to a modern film-going audience. That's us. That's the size of us, surgeons of horror. So, uh, without further ado, as I said, I'm your lead surgeon for the podcast, and I'm going to have somebody alongside me at the moment who will talk through this particular film of Christine, and that's none other than Watch It Wombat's Nick Orford, and I'd like to welcome him back to the freight in order to discuss these films thanks for coming on board but I should mention watching bat. so you're you that's your baby that's what you live and breathe and that part of that is that you kind of uh, post a lot of mini reviews around not just films but shows and it's not just horror it's across the board of of um of entertainment and you have a few other kind of off offsiders as well with play at one bat and things like that where you look at the gaming
1: circuit too so welcome on board and it's good to have you thank here. you for it. this one Always I great think, to be man. here, mate. Always good for a chat. Yeah, good, good. Looking forward to uh, as always getting stuck in and reliving a few memories. Um, which mm. is funny with this one, I don't have many, but um, okay. I have just finished watching it now, so I've got some very fresh memories. Um, cool, that, you know we, we can chat about.
0: Yeah, so like, like you, you talked about how you had like lots of uh, fresh memories and things like that, and, uh, and because you have just watched it, I, I, I always ask this to uh, uh, my offsider. Uh, is first before we kind of start dissecting the film or ripping apart and dissecting it and looking at the key points sometimes we don't go just purely on narrative sometimes we cherry pick those moments that stood out and that tends to be the way that you and I work when we do our podcasts. but yeah from your uh, from your perspective what like do you remember when you first watched it because you kind of just said then that you it's not you kind of were very aware of it but it wasn't uh, one that was fresh in your mind.
1: Yeah, I remember watching it um, relatively young. It's funny because Christine's actually my mum's name as well. <laughs> okay. That's weird. But um, yeah, I watched it quite young, and I don't remember... It's not like there were any iconic moments that even stood out for me. Like, yeah. on, on when I was preparing to watch it, I was trying to think what I knew about the film. For me, it's kind of... It was like watching it for the first time again a bit, because I was aware of the characters, I was aware of the, what the car did. Um, but yeah it's it's um I think for me i wasn't it, I wasn't extremely excited to watch it, I'll be honest, yeah <laughs> because Especially for me yeah. in my mind it was just uh okay, there's a car that goes around and kills people and, and sounds a little bit silly, which I think that's what I do remember as a kid thinking okay, it's a killer car that sounds a bit you know a little bit funny um which I have you know sort of a, well kind of on the subject is i I have the same sort of feeling about Carrie, like I remember seeing that oh, in the original. Yeah. Version as a kid, but all I can really picture it to is just one film leading up the film, just leading up to one moment. You know, yes, getting, the end bit. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the ending which most people are familiar with. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And so that's kind of that for me when I think of a film like that, it doesn't make me want to watch it again because it's just like, oh, it's just leading up to one moment. Okay, yeah. Um, sure. Which which I kind of get with a lot of M Night Shyamalan movies. Like they are they are quite good films, you know, most yep. of them. Um, but you do feel like you're just waiting for that one sort of payoff. Yeah, sure. Uh, which means sure. I probably need to watch Carrie again. But um,
0: yeah, no, no, so. Lexi, I I get I, I I think I get what you're saying with that. But my argument about Carrie is that it's it's a it's a lot of it's a like a big psychological uh, journey that Carrie White goes through, and. Uh, and it's a huge gaslighting thing as well. Like her mum has yeah. led her to believe a certain way of life for so long so that when she becomes a woman uh, for the first time, then the, her, her whole world just shatters. It's like, you know, uh, and obviously you throw in the, the fact that there's the, she has these supernatural abilities that get kind of uh, ignited in the process uh, that kind of lends weight to it. So I, I have a lot of time for that but having said that I think that's stuff that I've come to appreciate over time when I on repeat view and I think I may have had a similar reaction when I first watched it like that you were talking about for Carrie with, with Chris like and I'm coming from a point of view because I absolutely devoured Stephen King books when I was young Like, you know I just I, I just literally you'd see me in you know with the Stephen King book all the time like massive book collection um, of his work you were
1: that kid at school who had a book that's like you know the size size of the bible or pretty much yeah big yeah that. like, <laughs> yeah that's it i was like, there I, with like a, a wafer thin comic <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that's
0: pretty much the size of it yeah i i just i i just couldn't get enough like i i i and i'd love like the summer holidays because that's when i could pick because Stephen King books are notoriously quite long um particularly like you know the stand and things like that but I, I loved The Summer Holidays because I knew I could pick up one and I knew I there's a, f- f- a sure fine job that I'd complete it before the end of the holidays. Um, but so I, like it was always uh, the big one for me as a kid and Pet Cemetery uh, were both big, big ones for me as a kid, reading stuff. But the, I would say Christine was the other one that had a huge
1: impact on me. And I'm talking about the book, not the film. Um, yeah, because apparently the the film came out before the book
0: Uh, oh right is that right yeah well they were both the book was published in i could be wrong (laughs) the book was published in 1983
1: so it would have been close i guess yeah you could be right you were saying that you devoured christine
0: yeah yeah and and i loved it because it's it's the journey of it is very different to the film with the book it's it's basically done in three parts and the first part is all told from the point of view from the best friend oh okay he's telling the story of how him and arnie are you know hanging out dennis is this jock kind of character like he's a regular kind of uh what we call gridiron football american football is what he plays um and he's a friend arnie who's who's the core subject of the film who ends up buying the car christine he's a, a real geek kind of nerdy character and you think that that would be like a bit of a chalk and cheese kind of connection but um, they essentially have known each other since they were kids, like really young. So they've just kind of grown up together and,
1: and it would be nice have, if they'd have put, sorry, it'd be nice they put some of that in the film to establish see, that sort of relationship. Yeah. See, that's, that's the thing that I found was, was really missing, especially when I
0: rewatched the film just recently. So my memory, and I'll come back to some of the, the story, uh, novel element in a second, but the, my memory of the film, um, was quite vague you know like I was trying to remember like it must have been years ago that I watched it and I was like I don't really remember much I remember the ending of it but I don't remember much of the journey that it Mm -hmm. to get to that ending like if somebody said to me do you remember the kills in it I'd be like no I honestly can't remember what happens so and I found that a bit telling so I was like oh that's interesting why is that because and I was like maybe the film's not as good as I recall it but I'm willing to kind of uh, put that to one side when I came to watch it ahead of the podcast record. But I was genuinely quite, still quite excited to watch it because a Carpenter and B, I had a, an affiliation with the novel. And as I said, it so it's broken into three parts. So we tell, we see Dennis's story through Arnie buying the car, some early signs of character change, and and that he like the Dennis Geist, like Digs Lee we follow that journey like up to the point uh, where Dennis uh, has his footballing accident and he's then stuck in hospital. Mm-hmm. So obviously like he's written it from a point of view, then then he's kind of incapacitated. He's kind of has to not be involved because he's in hospital recovery, right? So the, the book then takes a weird shift in that it then starts telling the story from a little bit of Arnie's point of view but it sounds more like it's more rather than being first person. It's almost like it's talking about it from a second perspective. Like as we're watching Arnie's character, Lee's character, and some of the things that they're experiencing um, along the way. And, and so the, because of that, the tone starts feeling awkward. So like when I reread the book again, ahead of the podcast, I really noticed that this time around again. And I was like, Oh, that jars a little bit um, when reading that. So, and then before it then picks up again when Dennis is out of the hospital for the final climax for so the first final act, he's back in and he's telling the story again uh, from the first perspective. And I think King writes better that way. Like if you look at some of his stuff, it's always the writer's perspective essentially that, that which is mm-hmm. quite synonymous with his work. So anyway, the point was is I had a real I had a real attachment to the novel, and I thought. I'm really keen to kind of see this again. So and when I did the first thing that struck me and we'll start dissecting this a bit as I said now but like the first thing that struck me was how derogatory they were to women at the very beginning. And yes with the banter yeah. and stuff I was just like, "Whoa, okay. That yeah. <laughs> that, isn't, that isn't good." Um and I was and I had no I had no idea that uh, was that accepted at the time? I, I started really I kind of scrutinize it, literally from that perspective. Going, I feel uncomfortable with them really like being very kind of full on the way they're. I mean, we're not talking the way that like John Hughes would write, you know, like like we're talking like that, you know, the the uh, you know the eighties kind of thing.
1: Yeah,
0: John Hughes was famous for being able to see things through teenagers' eyes and and capturing the way they talk. It's not that this just feels. Awkward. I don't, did you get
1: that too? Or Oh, yeah. I think it was it was very early on in the film, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's like the first the car and...
0: And we're when we're meeting them, they're talking together at first in the car. But then yeah. when they're in at the locker scene too and they're talking about, there's another kid who kind of is in the background who's a bit of an irrelevant kind of bypasser character. And yeah. he's talking about like, you know, scoring with this girl. Um it, in very kind of lewd terms. And I was just like, oh, maybe it's just my innocence, man. I don't know. But I was just like, I... I found that whole moment
1: like really awkward to watch. Um, And I don't know if they were trying to make it age it up a bit because apparently the the story goes that it was to make it not PG because there's not much gore and blood from a horror movie. It's pretty tame in that respect. They drop a lot of C-bombs to help try and get the class up apparently. Yeah. Because there's there's way more C-bombs for a film of that age is pretty rare, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there
0: is that, and that's the thing. I, I did not look. I didn't mind it so much when Arnie turns, like when he starts showing characteristics that you know that obviously isn't him. Like uh, wearing
1: eyeshadow and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. When he when he goes dark, you know, when he gets yeah, that's gets it. All, when he gets all emo and meta and yeah,
1: yeah. Um, when he gets a cool new jacket.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. And all of a sudden, he's he's a cool guy now. Um, and doesn't need glasses for no doesn't reason. Need glasses? Anyone? Never need them. So. Uh, so that struck me as as a bit as a bit of a yeah a bit of a moment where I was like yeah I don't know I I might find this viewing a bit hard. The, the weird thing is like obviously I'm pretty sure that kind of conversation did occur. Uh, around that time frame but it just I was just really aware of how that how it jarred it didn't feel natural the dialogue didn't feel natural like this isn't Quentin yeah. Tarantino spouting kind of out you know like dialogue that he does that has this kind mm. of fluidity to it and yeah it can be insulting and incredulous uh, in uh, in a fell swoop it, it wasn't it wasn't like that it just it just jarred and so I was just like oh okay if this is what the dialogue's going to be like is this going to be a Pretty rough journey but it does as soon as the car element happens that gets dropped and so it, it felt a bit more natural from that point onwards but i just like yeah that's weird because i realized like um the intro of the film obviously would kick off with bad to the bone and you know with the, the music and that's that's taken directly from king who was known for in, uh, injecting uh song lyrics uh, at the head of chapters and of his books and this particular uh, novel does that like at the beginning there's always like these classic kind of 50s songs lyrics that are in in the beginning of most of the chapters to kind of set the scene of, of where we're set yeah
1: but, but apparently from what i read the uh, the actual con- conveyor scene of christine getting built um isn't actually in the book is that right
0: yeah it's not in the book yeah
1: yeah so we, don't, we fact... don't
0: get to see christine until that moment where arnie and dennis are driving past the driveway and they and they see they see it in the driveway and so that's the other thing too that that's that's slightly different as well um in the sense that uh there's more to that journey when they first get the car and yes it's a rust bucket but uh dennis gets a weird vibe from the car straight away and he gets a weird vibe and the guy selling the car isn't the brother of the owner it's actually the owner who's really old and a oh, bit, right. and like looks looks exactly the same way. Like you picture the guy, you know, that's that plays him, and it it's pretty much carbon copy of how he's descri- the guy that owns the car is described. And he's old guy, yeah. F-
1: yeah. Sorry, so the old guy from um, Home Alone, just yeah, that too. Turns up yeah. bit of creepy exposition. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, so he uh, he kind of looks a bit like that same guy, like, but like the story is is the owner is the one that you know, he's um, selling the car and it and dennis gets that weird vibe like i don't i don't i don't trust the dude he's a bit off Mm -hmm. and and what's more is the car there's something about the car like itself and like he's trying to convince arnie not to buy the car but arnie just he's has this moment where he's just instantly falls in love with the car right so he goes in the house arnie goes in the house to sign the papers and at this point dennis is checking out the car and he gets in the car and he gets the feeling that there's a bad, it's just, he can't quite put his name on it, but there's like a bad energy about it. And we don't get that part in the film. Like he, we, he doesn't have this kind of weird reaction, like a, as in like, you know, there's something uh, unsuitable about the car other than the fact in the film, it's just that it's a rust bucket, right? But they, yeah, also, and- have, they also have a journey, like they, they, uh, they take it, uh, they drive it, back home but it's like things like it breaks down halfway there um and they, there's a big scene where it's out they have to park it's parked outside this guy's house and there's this moment where they have this interaction with this dude that's basically going <clears throat> to fuck off off of his property with because there's rust buckets outside his house so there's all this kind of interaction scene that happens which is actually kind of cool it's a cool scene in the book but obviously to make way to kind of keep the pace going with the film it they, they cut that bit out.
1: Cut that out. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, so like there's a, there's a whole bit about it. Like the struggle of him getting, getting the car and then eventually, and the, and the amount he puts in it, into the car gets glossed over a lot in the film. Like they just, cause they kind of want to get to the point where it's evil. Right. And it starts. To be yeah. evil. So, so a lot of that kind of natural uh, character building kind of stuff is, is, Put to one side to get to it, and I think that, unfortunately, um, when watching the film again, like that is missing because we just mm. we're just going through the beats, right? And it doesn't doesn't quite connect. Uh, so that
1: stood out for me. Um, I do quite like the way in the film compared to from what you're saying from the book that it is the brother because it kind of makes a little bit more sense, like to me anyway, in the fact that if Christine's owner. Was trying to sell her, she'd have something to say about that, and you know I think there might yeah, if but, I don't know if this how played out in the book, but then there'd be you'd be able, the owner would be able to offer more answers, whereas the guy's like it was my brother's, you know, and he can then tell this story.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, and so, so that's the thing because it takes a like the possession part of it is a bit ambiguous, right? So it's like it's like yes, the car has its own entity. But in the uh in the book, the the guy, the owner, he actually dies not long after selling the car. Right. And it's almost like he he uh doesn't he realizes that he's coming to his the end of his life and Christine's willing to let go of him because his right. body's not gonna be able to maintain her for much longer and then it's almost she she possesses uh arnie in a way by luring him in and there's a moment where in the cell itself of the car uh the guy roland he's 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 he's, there's a moment where he he seems or regretful as they drive off it's like he he almost is crying at at letting this thing go and then he passes away so they don't have the answers of when things start kind of happening they don't have those answers so Dennis goes and tracks down the brother and the brother then is the one that tells a story about how right Roland had a wife and they had a kid the kid died outside the car um well was choking on a burger in the car so again like right so and that does yeah, is yeah. history that does happen again in the book with Lee later on and we see that in the film but it makes sense in the book where it starts to happen because it's like it's something that she kind of manipulate and take control of mm. so the circumstances that happen within in the car. Right. But that happened to their kid, Roland's kid. And then the wife can't bear it anymore. And she actually commits suicide in the car by gassing herself. So those kind of things are just, it's just discussed about, but we get in the book, you kind of get that told, do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. there's a bit more history at play and there's a lot more depth to it. And I'm and, they have to, I get the understanding of the film in that you have to kind of choose which moments to tell and not and sacrifice stuff in order to get the main gist of it across. But unfortunately, in the throes of this particular book, by removing those kind of deep layers, it becomes very surface. And so it doesn't, for me, doesn't connect as much as a result. And what's more, the added part of it is that it, whenever uh, Arnie is in the car, He's not possessed by Christine. He's possessed by Roland, the original owner of the car who's died. Oh, is that why? Okay. So he then it starts to exhibit characteristics of Roland when he's going around. So the moments where he starts being a bit of a dick, essentially, and being really pissy with with the Lee character are moments where he starts being possessed. And when Dennis finally comes out of hospital, he sees this whole personality change with his friend that wasn't mm. there before. And he starts to do a bit of private investigating. And as I said, that's what leads him to talk to the brother. And he gets to know a bit more about what's going on um, and realises there's more to it than that. And it becomes a bit of more of a tragic story by the end of it because um, he realises that he can't, there's no, he tries to be able to save his friend and hopes he can by confronting Christine at a time when he knows his friend's not going to be there. So if he can tackle, you know, like, tackle christine on head on but the problem is is that he does that and would i know i'm jumping to the end with the car being destroyed but then he then hears um how that same night his uh arnie and his mum are killed in a car accident in on the highway and that's kind of told off off novel if that makes sense we don't actually see that happen he just hears about it and he's just like i've done all this And I wasn't able to save my best friend anyway, you know, but hopefully that's where the evil stops. But then he, then it cuts to the, in the novel, it cuts to the epilogue and he's older and he never settles down with Lee. He mentions how they had a bit of a moment where they could have been an item, but they kind of separated and went their own way. She's now married and settled down and, you know, um, but he's always kind of drifted, but then he's heard, of like some weird newspaper stories of stuff about accidents happening, things like that. And it's leading back up to where Lee is living. Now he's followed this trail. He's like, that can't be right. Don't tell me this is, <laughs> that she's not, not dead. So it kind of leaves it really open with that. And it does that at the end of this film too. Like there's a heartbeat moment where, you know, the things are crushed up, kind of bit of metal. And then we see the uh, the bars start to kind of bend a little bit, as if anything, end, like, yeah. is, it, is it going to start reforming again. So that is a nod to, like, is it actually dead or not? You know. But so there's yes. my point with that, and I, there was a lot of waffling around. But my point is, is there's a lot of differences that happen with novel compared to the film, and things that had to be kind of, as I said, cut out, cut out the way in order to um, uh, hit the beats of the of, of the film. So yeah, so it's an, it was an interesting journey watching it again and I found that it didn't always connect, as I said, like the bit at the beginning, j- jarred, and like to go back to the conveyor belt scene, um, which as you quite rightly pointed out, isn't in the book, but it was a way for them to kind of say, yeah, this car's a bitch, right? It's going to be, It's it's got bad stuff, bad voodoo around it because we see it yeah. kind of, you know, the, ha- the bonnet shut down on the hand and break the guy's hand and then we have the cigar chomping dude and he ends up, dying in the car um at the beginning so we have like two deaths really early on to just kind of really overemphasize the point that this car's
1: not good it's evil and um, that's it and i think that's all part of them as well like i was saying before, to try and ramp up the the horror genre style of it because otherwise you know otherwise just a car you know if you can have it two kills in the first you know few minutes of opening then that's that's great
0: yeah yeah pretty much um and then, like, I guess, like, if we're looking at, like, uh, the, the, there's the bully kind of thing. There's always bullies in Stephen King kind of uh, novels, and but, and then this one, there is, there's one as well, um,
1: who's like 40 years old. In fact, most yeah. of the kids are like in their mid to late twenties, but this guy, the bully in this one, like, is, is that a teacher? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it?
0: Yeah, there's that, there's that whole, yeah, it, that didn't really stick either. And that's the thing too. They had this beautiful moment of like. I felt where they should have built more up about uh, when Christine goes on a rampage and starts killing the bullies, right? Because mm. the first, the first kill, the first you know, for one of a, I'm trying not to use a derogatory kind of term, but the fat kid that's the that's in it, yes, right? Yeah, um, like who's the first one gets killed? That's kind of a bit similar in the way that uh, Christine kind of hunts him down on, and he's on his own.
1: And it, and that was a great kill, by the way. That
0: yeah, really cool. yeah, with where it, yeah, where it traps
1: him in the alleyway and, and it it crushes itself in order to crush him, yeah. That's so good. And yeah. then the, the, you don't see much of it either and it's just like, okay, well, she can't get in and he's stuck and then I think they might have established the reforming, the show me stuff by then. Yes, um, yes. And then so when that does happen, that's obviously in keeping with the, the world they've set up. She's like, oh, shit, she can just do that. Yeah. go in and then he's got absolutely no way because i think uh, yeah it's, yeah it's when you're on the run from a, the car i'd imagine you're sort of thinking how can i get out of this like do i go up a flight of stairs and you know you, it you, syndrome yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but you're also in that comfortable position where you're on the outside looking in and i'm sure if you were being chased by something like that you know you would just want to run in the opposite direction yeah, you wouldn't yeah. have time to think you know as as literally as we would maybe, and then yeah, that's why when he gets yeah. cornered, it, it's really good. Like he's sat there trapped, and then even, you know, um, when he's cornered, he pulls out his knife. I think, and he's trying to trying to take it on. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's which, right. Good luck with that. <laughs>
0: There's a, yeah, because and that and that's and I like that. I did like that scene in the film as well. I thought it I thought it was good. And I think like what we uh, probably what we should talk about next though, and I kind of um, need to jump back a little bit because we we've been talking about obviously how Christine's chasing the uh, the bullies down but prior to that there's there's a scene where uh that gives the impetus of why Christine is doing this why she's out for revenge essentially and that's these alpha bullies find out where um, Arnie has kept the the car Christine kept and they sneak in and they kind of completely trash the thing so it's completely decimated and and um beyond recognition and you would think unrepairable but this is where uh and i'm not sure if we discussed this yet or not but like this is where we see uh the entity or whatever it is that's possessing the the car christine bring life back into it again by remorphing uh back and shaping into this kind of pristine car again and this is a a a nod to the the special effects that's involved in this and it's probably one of the big standout moments and I know that you had something to comment on that as well Nick
1: yeah I love the practical effects uh it still holds up really well today considering it was made in 1983 and yeah um it's looking at it it doesn't look reversed you know how some if someone jumps up Onto a cliff, you know, you can tell <laughs> that's clearly reversed, like yeah, yeah. the old Wonder Woman days or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but here, using the vacuum pumps to suck it out, um, to suck out the metal, and and it's all really well hidden. Yep. Um, all the equipment in there, and uh, yeah, I just think it looks really and it, it shows the indestructible nature and just how pristine Christine can return to. Yeah. Um, which makes that sort of unstoppable force. Um, but yeah, and and. Uh, also, you know, with practical effects as well. When, um, with the bullies, when Christine's chasing the head bully and, and the yeah. cars on bloody fire. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you still yeah. Look at that today and going. That's still amazing imagery, like the glow on the guy being chased. Yeah, and the fact it's just a car on fire at night. Yeah, it's just as if it was as if it wasn't scared enough. You know, the car's on fire. That, yeah, that yeah. sort of adds to it. And then well, like the revving I- of the engine that's it well radiohead once did
0: a nod to it back in the day with the, yes. the video of karma police which the whole video yeah, yeah. is just the car on fire essentially chasing um this dude down the street um oh well no he's chasing him first and then it gets on fire but anyway so there's lots of references um is my point that's been made since then or nods to that particular moment and it's a great scene like the moment where it like you know it it christine i'm talking about finds the bullies it's at a gas station initially um and this is where it then kind of just plows into uh the actual gas station building knocking down one of the one of the bullies killing them instantly by the way that bully is the guy that was in ghostbusters with the couple of wavy lines moment um yeah. which, love the afro yeah lo- love the afro that guy's a legend um I'll tell you what the effect is, it's pissing me off. Um, so um, yeah, so that I had a moment I'm like, "Oh my God, it's that guy." Um, and then he gets knocked down. Uh, and then there's another dude that works at the gas station as well, and he uh excuse me, and he's uh he uh oh no sorry, there's a, this is where the um the gas pump comes out, doesn't it? And this is the whole reason it kind of ignites on fire, and he gets killed in there too, where the whole gas station erupts and um and blows up but not without Christine managing to get out still on fire and then we get like you said that moment where he just chases after the uh, the alpha bully and what, one bit i really love in that scene is is there's a bit with the audio where you just all you're hearing is the uh, the bully as he's running along out of breath like this kind of panting mm. kind of sound and it's it's a real kind of eerie moment before then obviously Christine catches up with him and just completely knocks him over and kills him it's a it's a it's a good scene
1: <laughs> yeah it, it's great and um yeah because i was wondering about the the reason for the other guy being in there if he served any purpose like not being part of the initial game yeah what i could tell mm. um and yeah you get more of a sense of christine's indestructible nature because we've already seen the uh the larger bully Shelly getting get crushed in the alleyway you realize okay well she is indestructible and she can you know start putting herself back together um you know, nothing can really stop her at this point.
0: No, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a it's a cool kind of. And it's, I guess this is you have to kind of give into that suspension of disbelief in order for for this to work. You know, because it's one of those hard sells to have an inanimate object kind of come to life and then basically kind of chase people down and kill them. And that's yeah what the basis of this is. But I think there the way it's presented is it's selling point in this and it works uh, because we see that kind of morphing phase earlier on that we described about. Um, so before we kind of get to the climax of the film though, um, and I know I'm jumping ahead a few beats, I do want to mention um, some of the, uh, the actors that are involved in this because um, the, the caliber of the support actors in particular are, are pretty high. So like, and the, the first one obviously jumps off the list is the, um, uh, character the detective character in it who's actually played by harry dean stanton someone who is not only a legend you know but he's uh, also a john Compton regular having been in like escape from new york and in this in this he he's literally just ringing it in like he's just he's only in like a handful of scenes but
1: um yeah it's, it was just great to see him on screen i felt and yeah and that, and that character is just completely under as well considering that could add another level of um, threat to our—I'd our, say heroes, but the protagonists, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, the cops are on their tail, and you know, then they start going into detail about where he bought the paint from and stuff. And it—it seems like the cops got the nouse, but he doesn't follow through with anything. So it's almost just like—is he lazy? Yeah, not time yeah, in the film for him to be expanded.
0: Yeah, um, is,
1: yeah. Is he in the
0: book? Yeah, he is. Happens. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what I was about to say. Because in the book, he serves a bit more of a. Uh, of a I feel like his character was a bit more fleshed out in the book, because he uh, he's the first person that realizes that there's something amiss about this car, and his immediate detective instincts makes him think it's Arnie, but. Arnie always has an alibi like when things are happening in particular one, one uh, scene where he, well, I think it is the bully one. Um, he's actually completely out of town and there's proof of him being out of town as well. So it's a real, um, it's a big kind of a, a moment for him where he's like, there's something not quite right. And that's where he's, you know, open to admit that there's something else that could potentially be at play here. And he even like, you know, he's following, you know, he's, you know, he's hightailing uh, Christine as well to try and kind of get to the end of it. Um, I think his name in the book is Rudy Junkins. It's a, you know, it's a different name to the one that's in the film from memory. Um, and I'm trying to remember what happens to him at the end. Cause I know there's this, they do, they do, they create a sting essentially to try and catch Arnie um, in the throes of, because the Darnell character who owns the workshop workshop, uh, is a bit sus, and he does a lot of kind of, uh, he, you know, uh, ships, kind of goods across state borders and stuff, so, and he gets Arnie involved in that, and that's how they're able to to basically uh, catch Arnie, and hopefully, I think at this stage, he thinks maybe it's Darnell that's going around, but there's something around about the car that's that's amiss, anyway. um, But like I said, I can't remember what happens to his character at the end. Might have a bit of a I honestly can't remember what happens. I don't, I don't remember him getting killed, but I don't. I don't can't say that. Oh no, he is. Hold I, on, he is killed. He's killed in a in a car crash. That's right. Uh, and I think it's because he's getting a bit too close. Um, and so it's, I don't think we ever see the killing, but we hear about it as a car crash moment. Yeah, and then there's the whole. Uh, there's a whole bit about the Darnell character. So he's the one that works, you know, he's at the workshop. So he witnesses Christine driving in and there's clearly nobody there. And in the film, we obviously see him go and investigate and he gets killed in the car. Um, But in, in the book, he actually does a runner and he kind of goes to some kind of house. I can't remember if it's his house, but he ends up at a house in the hills. And Christine basically ends up finding him and then ramming in through his house and chasing him through the the, the door. You imagine like, you know, the scene in uh, Gremlins where uh, the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the dude is getting chased. It's, it's kind of a bit like that. Um, and yeah. But in this instance, he gets kind of plowed down and, and killed by the car, Christine. And so at this point, Junkins is still around, the detective, and he basically assesses that that's where he's like, yeah, something's really not going on here. And he suspects there's something beyond that. And he's trying to... Pin it. So the, uh, or pin it on somebody, but he feels like it's beyond that. It's a spirit of some kind. And he's open to go, yeah, this is beyond my capability. Um, but yeah, just going back to the Darnell character, obviously like, we should mention again with support actors that he's played by Robert Prosky. Uh, and for many of people, he's one of those guys, you just kind of know his face, but there's a couple of that stand out for me. Obviously there's gremlins Two: the new batch. Which yeah. uh, he's the uh, kind of uh, wacky kind of uh, detect. i not what I'm saying. Presenter of like late night TV, and he takes his opportunity to kind of capitalize on that in the uh, in the film of Gremlins Two. I should stress. Uh, speaking of Gremlins, and uh, but he was also in like uh, I th- what was the other couple of ones that stood out? There was a uh, Last
1: Action Hero. For- uh, that's just you- what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Are you just? When I saw him, I'm like, I still remember him as like this old friendly guy. And yes. then, you know, in this movie, he's the complete opposite. Yes, well, not right. opposite, he's still old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, just a bit grouchy. Uh, that's it. But, but for me, like he was, uh, what struck me was that he was, uh, he played the main sergeant, uh, Joplinowski, in Hill Street Blues, which was like a, a show in the like m- uh, mid 80s. I probably watched that show when I shouldn't have done. And, and my parents, I think, kind of let me, which was a bit weird. 'Cause it has got I mean it's it'd be the equivalent, I guess, of just watching uh the Law and Order kind of shows today. But there were kind of some kind of grim moments in it. But anyway, he was to me, he was always the, the main sergeant guy. So it was kind of nice to to see him him again. And and obviously the last person we should mention is uh Kelly Preston, who um unfortunately kind of passed away this year. Um, yeah. and she's the uh kind of like uh bubble gum kind of girlfriend of uh arnie's uh, not arnie's character of um dennis's character early on and so she's a cheerleader and there's these little pockets of moments where she's clearly infatuated with the dennis character but as soon as uh stephanie paul kind of uh, i always call her stephanie i think her name was stephanie in baywatch um As soon as (laughs) uh, Alexandra Paul kind of enters the scene, Dennis's attention is elsewhere. And so there's these great moments where, particularly in memories, the the scene in the library where uh, Kelly Preston can kind of see what's happening and she feels powerless
1: to kind of win him back again. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. Although it kind of feels like She's sort of upset by it, but then later on in the movie, it's like she's almost not even that bothered by it. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Like, Guess I, think of, I think you might
1: see her again. And when you look at the Leeds page, um, Dennis, uh, played by Keith Gordon, uh, on his IMDb page, when it goes to his filmography, it, it comes more for his uh, directorial work yeah. um, rather than being known for just Christine. And I think it's the same with uh, John Stockwell, who plays Dennis. Yes. Um, you know, he's directed a few films since then. Nothing... Particularly great when you're looking at a TV that includes Blue Crush and Into the Blue and <laughs> those sort of things. Um, thing about but the... hey, look—he's directed more films than we have. So <laughs>
0: true, true, very true. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for that. A uh, little bit of information there. So uh, yeah, so the point is, is, there's a there's a collection of, of, of cool actors in this that lend a bit more weight to to the film, and I guess that's uh, again as uh, is renowned for kind of gathering these kind of actors, particularly young actors that are on kind of the periphery, because obviously the biggest one up being J- uh, Jamie Lee Curtis before her breakthrough, but there's yeah. been a few others along the way. Uh, and so I think um, we're just going to jump ahead uh, now to the, the climax of the film and talk around that because there are notable differences with the book because in the book, uh, the um, Dennis character gets a rig. He Basically, gets a big rig. It's not. It's not a bulldozer, or in this case, a digger, uh, uh, because he wanted something with a lot of weight. To just, it's a beast of a of a thing, and it's. He just wanted something to be able to crush Christine with. And so, in the uh, but in the film, it's it's essentially a, like a what I'd call a JCB with the claw. You know, with the digger part of the front. Yeah the opening of it, it. Uh, of that climax is very similar though in the sense that they're I- they're in the cabin of of the vehicle of choice and they do fall asleep and wake up with and find out Christine is in or has been in the uh, workshop the
1: whole time without them knowing yeah hiding under a bunch of junk which just it stings like that when you think about the the physics and uh, yeah. of, of what you'd have to do like you know Sprout arms, or to magically knock stuff <laughs> yeah. off shelves, or like just you know, and that's that's what you don't want to do with a film like this. Is you don't want to overthink it. No, but that's it, right. it does feel a little bit comical when it's just like vim, vim, and she's like the lights come on and come yeah. down, and, uh, you know. And and when they start having the fight, there's there's a great moment where um I think the digger tears open Christine's front, and yes, and you get this great, very on the nose imagery of these fangs, you know, yes. To the edge of the metal on the front of the car and it yeah, it's like I said a bit on the nose, but it still it looks bloody great.
0: Yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah, you got you're exactly right. It, it it it's a delicate balancing act, isn't it, between the, the comical and the and the and the visual kind of component of it. And there are points where it could teeter the wrong way, but I think it just just hangs right. And that's one of the moments in question that you're talking about with the fangs. Um and there's similar similarities in it, like uh, you know, like the bit where Christine presents herself is when Lee uh, has come out of the cabin of the of the digger, and she's going to make her way to the office. For some reason, I can't remember why she does it, but she does, and that's where it presents itself. So she's out in the open, and then that's when it goes in to try and attack her. So she does a lot of cartwheeling around trying to get away, and then we have Dennis trying to, at the same time, crush the thing. But it, he's still got a gammy leg, you know, like he's. In, you know, just mm. lest we forget, like he's fucked his leg up, so he's finding it hard to press down on the clutch, in particular, to get the thing going, um, and he's in a lot of pain. So there's moments where that is coming about, and somehow Lee ends up getting into the office space where Darnell used to work, uh, which is kind of like one of those open, you know, offices where you've got windows going around the outside, so you can look in, and equally. He could look out onto the shop floor and see what's going similar on, similar
1: to the film, similar to that, yeah, that exactly. similar yeah. to the film,
0: yeah, very much so. Um, but the difference here is like the big, big difference, I should say, is that in the film, we see uh, um, Arnie actually behind the wheel driving Christine, but in the book, that isn't the case. Arnie isn't even there, he's on a like a he's gone on a road trip with his his um, mum, I think. So he's out of the scene. And this is a deliberate ploy on the part of Dennis because he wanted to make sure Arnie was out of the picture to confront Christine head on. Mm -hmm. And obviously in the the film, that's not the case. We see a fully possessed up uh, Arnie behind the wheel. And he tries to mow down um, Lee uh, by crashing into the office. But in doing so, he's then thrown through the windscreen and then lands... On a shard of glass, basically, kind of, yeah, puncturing his. Well, I presume he's some some vital organ, something anyway, important, yeah, yeah. that uh, brings and about his uh, his demise. Uh, which with is an the weird jump moment. scare. Yeah, where he sort of yeah, just yeah. tries to
1: sort of grab her, but it looks like he's supposed to be cuddling her because this is like his moment of redemption or something, or you know where yeah. he he then becomes unpossessed or something. Uh,
0: yeah, it's, it's a weird one because, like I said, and I'll get to the difference in the book in a bit, but just, just touching based still on what happens in the film is because within that moment, then Christine, you, you wonder the, the reason why Christine would allow that to happen, that scenario to unfold, to s- separate herself from the entity that is inside Arnie or has possessed hmm. him. Because obviously, I think I mentioned earlier, like in the book, he's possessed by Roland DeBay, the previous owner who had died. So there is a deliberate separation anyway. But in the film, they don't. They combine the, the two. Uh, and so by doing that, and then when Christine reverses back out again, you're kind of like, what, what are you going to do now? You've got, nothing, you've got no, nothing, nothing human or within this world to hold you there to kind of get away with the stuff that you're trying to do. Like, you know, how are you, are you going to then just lie in dormant and wait for somebody to find you again, to build you up? I don't know. It just seemed like a bit of an odd odd choice
1: to make. Yeah. Cause there, there was no, in the film, definitely, there's no turning point where, you know, maybe um, he would have uh, turned against Christine and that would have given her reason to, to kill him. Yeah. It. It's just like everything she's winning, everything's going about normal. Then, maybe she's just done with it
0: yeah like so like with this ending though like he's he's really um (laughs) the funny bit with him the car pulling away and there's a i think the song that's played is uh, over the top is called pledging my love or something which yeah a bit of a swung song kind of devotion to arnie um, yeah
1: which is a bit tongue-in-cheek in itself it is very much so but it's it's Kind of fun, and yeah, you know they they do that throughout the film with a lot of the music. But I think that's um... right, which
0: is in the book too. There's there's lots of pop uh, culture references. The um, but then right at the very end, like so the, the, the basically to kind of round up the, the very end of this film, we get the kind of climax between the, the basically the digger and Christine and and Dennis just basically ends up decimating Christine once again and crushing her with the digger driving over it, basically unrecognizable. And then we get the very very kind of last shot of um but they think it's all over and we get the last shot of lee and dennis and the cop harry dean's back back again um and they uh, with with the cube you know of the squash, squash cube of christine and they it hangs on that and then we get that kind of one lingering shot where you kind of see a little bit of i think it's the bumper that's still kind of prominent and it kind of vibrates a little bit so you kind of get this impression of that oh is it actually all over
1: or not Uh, and you have the great audio cue of you know the radio still going inside but it's just a guy walking past the ghetto blaster yeah yeah that's right you know it's definitely not 100 percent straight you know there's a little bit of comedy thrown there there is a bit there is a bit that's right so like the the key thing here
0: though like is that touches on what happens in the novel and to go back to what i was saying about arnie's character is that he his character actually gets killed off off screen so to speak off page we don't actually see mm. his death like so uh there's a moment where like so dennis has gone through all this ordeal to destroy the car to try and save the soul of his best friend but it's of no use because he finds out that both he's uh, both arnie and arnie's mom are killed in a car accident uh, so it's almost hinting that maybe Roland DeBay kind of did this just prior to Christine's demise. So um, so Roland being the previous owner of the car. Oh, yeah, because... I mean, he's be the one that possessed honest. Arnie, you know? So there's this one moment where he, they reckon... So it's hinting that he was able to perform that before, before this all kind of transpired. So Arnie's dead, like he's killed off. Yeah, so it's kind of deliberately left open. And that's what that last scene is is a nod to in the film uh okay. those kind of last moments so yeah that that's kind of the end of the film that's how it kind of uh it bows out um so i always ask this mm-hmm. of my co-hosts about whether or not it stands up as a film first and foremost um so where, where do you kind of rate this as a film do you what, what are your thoughts as it as a as it is today
1: I definitely liked it way more than I thought I would. Yeah. Because um, the problem I have going to a movie like this is I still remember the the one scene or or the one thing about it, and I feel like everything's leading up to that point. And yeah. But yeah, with this this one, um, it was great because I, I thought it would be a bit more farcical, a bit more um, tongue in cheek, and it yeah. kind of was. But it also wasn't an outright horror either way. So it's the, the way I think about what makes it a good film is would I want to rush back and watch it again? This one, yeah, yeah. not particularly. I feel like I've ticked it off the box. It's great. Um, and also if I had to recommend it, I'd be hard pushed on who I'd recommend it to Yes, um, because it's it's not really an outright comedy. It's definitely not really a horror. Um, you know, like I was saying before, they just throw in a few swear words to try and bump it up because there's not a lot of gore. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, or any anything even particularly scary about it, like it. It's very obviously intimidating when you hear the, the car revving and the engines you know, and the cars coming towards you. But yeah. um, for me, yeah, I definitely actually enjoyed it way more than I thought. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's that's a good thing with going back and watching Carpenter when he does his, um, films with amazing practical effects, is you can yeah, still look yeah. at that and go, "Wow, that's incredible! I know how they do it, but it still looks incredible."
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, and I think I think. The effects kind of helps this film. But I, I do have this thing, and I'm, I am going to be doing this because um, just to recap what I was saying at the very beginning of the podcast is that we're now looking at basically the latter end of Carpenter's work, starting with Christine. So we've done his previous films. Uh, but it's like you were saying, like, you know, he's done so many great films, but I wouldn't necessarily, if somebody said to me, you recommend a John Carpenter film, I wouldn't automatically go and say Christine off the back, mm. right so and i and for that i and it so it's a this, this film is a solid enough film and it's 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 fine it's a it's a it's a, an okay film but i wouldn't say it's up the, at the caliber that we've been used to seeing Carpenter prior to this because let, let's you know just go back the last kind of four films he did prior to this we had halloween then the fog escape from new york and then the thing and this is his next film and i want to say that this is the first indication of him slightly dropping in his in his caliber of standards um you know we we get starman next which was a bit of a showpiece and arguably some people didn't necessarily connect with that but then we'll talk about that in the next podcast but the one straight after that is Big Trouble in Little China, which, you know, to me is lifting the standards back up again of, of Carpenter's work, right? God, yeah, one of my favourites. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome film. And then we get Prince of Darkness and They Live. So great films. So like he's, it's almost, I want to say Christine's that one moment where we start to see, uh, maybe he's not white, got the goods for the long term. And then he turns around and disproves it up until... 1992 where we get memoirs of an invisible man Uh, and and then we'll talk about that in a later podcast too and I won't give away too much of my thoughts on that so so but my point is is so like when you look at it so going back to what I said like when you say John Carpenter, it's not and Chris you wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily reach up to you know grab the dvd or blu-ray off the shelf and say oh yeah here watch this one
1: I had no Um, idea it was him to be honest before we yeah I guess that's the
0: point right so it's it's so I think, would I recommend it? I don't know. I I, I probably wouldn't, unless, unless you're a, either a King fan or a Carpenter fan. i probably yeah, go, oh, oh, you haven't checked that out. You should check it out. Yeah. Mm. Or if you've only just discovered Stephen King lately because obviously uh, It and It Chapter 2 that was released and you aren't familiar with his work and want to delve back into some of his stuff and like what he does. Yeah, go, go check it out. You might be a little bit disappointed, <laughs> but I think yeah. it's... Uh, I think it's worth checking. Um, but yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of where we land with that. So yeah, that kind of wraps us up, I think. I think we're at a point where we can kind of bow out and, and uh, conclude our discussions of John Carpenter's Christine. We do hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about this film. And if you have alternate views on it, or if you think it's highly recommended, or maybe we're slamming it a little bit too much or, or not enough, <laughs> Let us know um, at the usual uh, social platforms that we have out there on Insta and Facebook and Twitter. Until then, I'm your host, Saul Muerte, and I'd like to extend my thanks again to my co-host, Nick Alford. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to SurgeonsofHorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.